Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. Today, for our listening pleasure, I chose The Lodger from Mystery in the Air, starring Peter Lorre and Agnes Moorhead. According to old-time radio author and friend of the podcast, Tim DeForest, Mystery in the Air was more or less based on the premise that it would be entertaining to listen to Peter Lorre go insane once a week. Airing on NBC as a summer replacement series for the popular comedy program Abbott and Costello, Mystery in the Air consisted of 13 episodes adapted from world literature, ranging from The Telltale Heart by Edgar Allan Poe to Crime and Punishment by Fyodor Dostoevsky. All 13 episodes starred film icon Peter Lorre. Born in Hungary, Laurie later moved to Berlin to pursue a career in acting. His breakout role was as the child murderer in Fritz Lang's M, one of the very first German sound films. When Hitler rose to power, Laurie fled Germany for Great Britain, landing his first English-language role in Alfred Hitchcock's The Man Who Knew Too Much. In 1935, after settling in Hollywood, Laurie was cast as Dr. Gogol in the cult classic Mad Love. Although the film was a flop, Laurie's performance was well-received by critics. During the 1940s, Laurie starred in a string of film classics, including The Maltese Falcon, Casablanca, Arsenic, and Old Lace. Despite his success in mainstream film, Laurie continued to be typecast as a murderous maniac. His distinctive voice, with its ability to move instantly from tranquil whisper to baleful roar, was perfectly suited for horror radio. Although Laurie made many appearances on programs such as Suspense and Inner Sanctum, Mystery in the Air was the first and only program created for the sole purpose of showcasing Laurie's unique gifts. Along with Laurie as the star and Harry Morgan as the announcer, Mystery in the Air featured guest appearances from some of radio's greatest voices, including Russell Thorson, Conrad Binion, Ben Wright, Lorene Tuttle, Louis Van Ruten, Joseph Kearns, Herb Butterfield, and, as you'll hear in today's episode, Agnes Moorhead. The Lodger was adapted from the 1913 novel by Marie Bellick Lowndes. It's considered the first work of fiction inspired by Jack the Ripper. In 1926, the story became the basis for Alfred Hitchcock's first publicly released film, The Lodger, A Story of the London Fog. Fifteen years later, CBS Radio asked Hitchcock to recreate The Lodger as a pilot for an anthology series that would eventually become Suspense. And we listened to that version of that story in episode 166 of this podcast, in case you haven't heard it or want a refresher. I have a funny feeling it's going to come up again in our post-show discussion. So what are we waiting for? Let's listen to The Lodger from Mystery in the Air, first broadcast August 14th, 1947. It's late at night and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker, listen to the music, and listen to the voices.
Mystery in the Air, starring Peter Lorre, presented by Camel Cigarettes. All right, men. I guess that's all. Put him on the stretcher and take him to the morgue. Oh, must I stay, Inspector? For a while, Mrs. Bunting. Oh, dear. I... I need all the details for my report. Oh, that such a thing could have happened here. Here in my own house. Each week at this hour... Peter Lorre brings us the excitement of the great stories of the strange and unusual, of dark and compelling masterpieces culled from the four corners of world literature. Tonight, The Lodger by Mrs. Bellock Lowndes. Peter Lorre is The Lodger, and Alan Bunting is played by Miss Agnes Moorhead. Mystery in the Air, brought to you by Camel Cigarettes. Experience is the best teacher. Try a camel. Let your own experience tell you why more people are smoking camels than ever before. Yes, let your T-Zone decide which cigarette you like best. Your T-Zone, that's T for taste and T for throat, is your true proving ground for any cigarette. So try a camel on your T-Zone. Introduce camel's rich, full flavor to your taste. Acquaint your throat with Camel's cool mildness. See if you don't decide, like so many other smokers, that Camel's suit your T-zone to a T. On, Mrs. Bunting. You said you were looking for a lodger? Uh, yes, yes, Inspector. We had to. But I never dreamed such a thing could happen here to us. Why, it was only last Tuesday night my husband and I were sitting before our fire reading the newspaper about the latest murder. It was the fifth. By, by the Avenger. Yes. Yes, I remember saying distinctly. Robert. Robert, he could be the fellow standing next to you, or maybe the man you bump into. It's a terrible thought. Yes, but it appears to me that the Avenger's too quick for the police. And look here. Look here, it says this girl he got last night was like all the others. Pretty blonde, and she just come from a music hall. Exactly like all the rest of his victims. Oh, what a pity. Ellen, have you stopped to think who fits that description perfectly? Our own Daisy. Oh, sure. What a pretty thought, Bunting. The good thing she's with her aunt instead of here. London isn't a safe place for any girl now. Just the same. I can't help thinking how fine it would be to have her here with well, us. Well, there's no sense even talking about it. We just can't afford it. I know that, Ellen, but I hope we could manage it some way. How? Haven't I script myself half crazy trying to keep us going? I know, Ellen. Well, don't you go worrying about it. I think we can... 
suppose that could be. Could it be someone looking for a room? Oh, I wish it were. Then you could have your daisy back. Well, I went to the front door. And when I opened it, there stood a man wearing a black cape and hat. He carried with a single piece of luggage. Good evening, sir. I saw your sign. It says you have a room to rent. Yes. Sir, yes, sir. Please, uh, won't you come in? Thank you. Uh, could I, uh, uh, could I take your cape, sir? No, uh, I'm looking for a quiet room, but it should be very quiet. Oh, we have that, sir. Just that. Mm. Above all, our house is quiet. Good. Your bag, sir. May I take it? No, just show me the room, please. Oh, yes, yes, sir. It's right up these stairs, sir. This way. You see, sir, there's just my husband and me here, and we're ever so quiet. I'm sure you'll find this room to your liking. Well, here we are. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I think I like this room. Yes, it is pleasant, isn't it? Ah, there's not many rooms with such pretty pictures, now is there? I don't know. Pretty pictures interest me very little. What I like about this room is... Uh, the simplicity. I like the bareness. Yes, I, I think I'll take it. What is your name? Mrs. Bunting, sir. All right, Mrs. Bunting, uh, I'll take the room. Oh, yes, sir. And please uh, let me help you with your luggage. No, don't uh, you touch it. Oh, but I, I only wish to, to... I know, I know. You only wish to help, Mrs. Bunting. It's, uh, it's just, uh, forgive me, it's, it's just that I... I'm weary. I'm, I'm very tired. Uh, see, I do a lot of studying. Oh, yes. Yes, of course, sir. Of course. Well, anyway, you can see how few things I need. It's, it's just what's in this bag. But this, this here is my favorite book. Hmm? It's the Bible. Good book, Mrs. Bunting, isn't it? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, indeed it is, sir. Yes, it says, uh, he brings them to their desired haven. Hmm? Beautiful words, huh? And now at last I found my haven of rest. Now, Mrs. Bunting, uh, if I pay you 30 shillings a week for this room, that's satisfactory? Oh, oh, why, yes, sir, yes, sir. That, that'll be quite all right. My name is Sleuth. Mr. Sleuth? Yes, Sleuth. S-L-E-U-T-H. <laughs> Think of a hound, Mrs. Bunting, and you'll never forget my name. And here... Yeah, you're 30 shillings. Oh, oh, thank you, sir. Thank you. Uh, would you be wishing anything now? Supper, tea, or... Mm, no, nothing. Uh, good night, Miss Bunting. Uh, yes, yes. Good night, sir. Please stop that. You hear? Oh, oh, sir, I... What did I do? You were humming. That's music. Oh, but I... I music don't... is an instrument of sin. And you did tell me, Mrs. Bunting, that your house would be absolutely quiet. Oh, but it is, sir. I, I didn't mean any harm. Believe me, sir. I, I believe you. I, I'm sorry I spoke sharply. I, I know you. You're trying to be considerate and kind. Oh, thank you, sir. Thank oh, you. Uh, by the way, Mrs. Bunting, uh, I think I would like some bread and some tea. Oh, certainly, certainly, sir. I'll have it in an instant.
<laughs> so, so he took the room, eh, Ellen? Yes. He, he took the room at, at 30 shillings a week. Yes, in advance. Oh, hurry now, Bunting. Is the water for the tea hot yet? Yes, what a stroke. Put the bread and the butter on the tray. I'll pour the water. You know, Ellen, it's wonderful. Yes, it is. Do you realise what this means? We can have Daisy back with yes, us I now. Yes, I know, I know. Hurry with it now, hurry. Why, why, we can have her back with now, us tomorrow. Now, the water and the tea, and I guess... Yes, it's all ready. Open the door, Bunting. I'll take it up to him right away. There you go, old girl. First thing in the morning, I'm going to fetch Daisy and bring her home. Oh, it's a wonderful night, Ellen. Wonderful. <gasps> oh, oh, I mustn't do that. Yes, 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 darling. Many wounded from her. Yes, many strong men have to slain by her. Come in. And to know how the wickedness of folly. Oh, why, why, Mister Sleuth, you, you. Yes. What is it? Those pictures, hmm? those pretty girls you've turned all their faces yes, to the wall. Yes, I've turned them to the wall because they are wicked and sinful. Oh, but sir, I don't you I... agree, Missus Bunting, that everything wicked and sinful should be purged from the earth? Huh? Yes. Oh, yes, yes, I do. I'm happy to hear that, Mrs. Bunting. Now, if you'll excuse me, I... I have to leave. Oh, but, sir, here's your tray. I had... Good night, Mrs. Bunting. You know, for a moment, I was stiff with fear. I set the tray down. He hadn't so much as noticed the light supper I'd prepared for him and rushed to the winter to watch. He came out of our cottage and moved off down the street, his black cape swirling about him. Finally, he was lost in the fog. And I don't know why, but I stared after him for a long, long while. Well, I did the dishes and got ready for bed. I lay there thinking, and it was almost dawn before I had convinced myself that at most he was a trifle odd. And after all, paying 30 shillings, maybe... Maybe he had a right to his strange way. It was daylight when I was suddenly awakened by the newsboys shouting in the street. Horrible murder! Read all about murder it! Murder at King's Cross last night! Avenger strikes again! Slowly Expect- I realized what the newsboys were shouting. Horrible murder! Avenger drops <gasps> six victims! Oh no! moments, Mr. Peter Laurie will bring us the climax of tonight's mystery in the air, when camels present Act Two of The Lodger. Any sports champion can tell you how true it is, that experience is the best teacher. Don Whitfield, for one, he's the world's outboard speed champion, you know. It's taking the turns around the marking buoys just right that makes that extra speed. And boy, how Don Whitfield worked out on that problem. Don Whitfield recently said, Experience is the best teacher in outboard racing and in smoking, too. Smoking whatever brands I could get during the wartime cigarette shortage taught me there's no other cigarette like a camel. And many other smokers had the same experience. 
Yes, during the wartime cigarette shortage, when people smoked whatever brands they could get. Then's when we all compared cigarettes, whether we wanted to or not. And then's when so many people decided that their taste liked Camel's rich, full flavor. And their throats liked Camel's cool mildness. The result? More people are smoking Camel's than ever before. Experience is the best teacher. Try a Camel yourself. As the inspector takes notes of the terrifying event, Alan Bunting continues the story. And now, Mrs. Bunting, what did you do the morning you learned the Avenger had murdered his sixth victim? Well, I was a little frightened to meet our lodger, yet I kept my thoughts to myself. After all, you know, there still wasn't much to go on. Robert had gone to make Daisy, so Mr. Sleuth ate breakfast alone. I watched him through the crack in the door. Finally, I went in with more tea. Hmm? Uh, uh, tea? Uh, no. No, thank you. Thank you, Mrs. Bunting. I, I don't care for any more tea, thanks. Uh, you're very kind. But I have to go on with my work now, if you'll excuse me. My fear really changed to pity then. Oh, he seems so helpless and tired. And he was so considerate. This man couldn't be a murderer. It was all a coincidence. Besides, we just couldn't afford to lose that 30 shillings a week. Well, around 10 in the morning, he left the cottage. And I decided to go upstairs and have a look about his room. I had to find out what he carried in his one piece of luggage. It wasn't a bag. It was more like a case. Yes. Yes, a case. A case for a knife. I rushed upstairs, my heart beating wildly at the thought I'd had of the case. No, no, there wasn't anything in his closet. I went over to the chest of drawers against the wall. Nothing in the top one. In the next one, there was just some socks and some underclothes. The next one was empty. There was only one other place for the small narrow case. The bottom drawer. And it was locked. I pulled and pulled at it. And then suddenly I heard the front door open downstairs. In a panic, I rushed out of the room and down the hall. Oh, you're upstairs, Ellen. Look, oh. Ellen. Daisy's here. Oh, thank heaven. Oh, my. Oh. So good to see you. It's so good to be home. Why, whatever's the matter? Yes, you're quite white, Ellen. Oh, I... It's... it's it, I'm, I'm all right. I'm all right. It's just that I wasn't expecting you so soon. Well, it's good to be back. The country's <laughs> all right, but there's nothing like London now, is there? Oh, no. No, no, that isn't. Well, as long as that Avenger's about, you're going to have something to do to keep this young lady indoors, London or no London. <laughs> oh, don't you worry. <laughs> Mother will see to that. Oh, well, Daisy, I... I might as well get you settled. You see, Father? What did I tell you? She'll have a dust cloth in my hand oh. before I have my coat on. <laughs> Mr. Sleuth. Why is my door open? We, we, we were just leaving, sir. Have you been in my room? Oh, oh, oh uh, not at all. Not at all, sir. 
from now on, Mrs. Bunting, I shall keep my room locked. Oh, uh, uh, but you see, sir, I, I was just tidying up a bit, and, and Mr. Bunting, he brought our daughter home. Uh, 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 she just arrived. Uh, this, is, this is Daisy. Pleased to meet you, sir. Uh, she, she's been away for quite a while. That's why we're a bit excited, you might say. Yes. Uh, you were probably surprised to hear us laughing and carrying on. Yes, yes, I, I must say I was, I was, but... Uh, but then, uh, there are different kinds of joy, are there not, Daisy? Yes. Yes, I'm sure there are. Yes. There is the despicable, evil joy of the abandoned, and, and then there is the divine happiness of the blessed. That's a great difference. You understand that, Daisy, don't you? Why, yes, sir. Yes, Mr. Sweet. Good, there. There are so few young women nowadays who do... I'm Mr. Sleuth. You mean a girl's not to enjoy life at all? Not to have any fun? Enjoyment and fun, my child, are the devil's breeding ground. All his implements are there. Pleasure and impropriety. The temptation of music, dancing. Oh, that's crazy. Why, there's nothing I like better than dancing. And I'm not... You like to she, dance? You know what she was saying, Mr. Sleuth? She's just a child. Daisy, you know you've never been one for dancing. You never learned how But to... I did learn, Mother. Well, I was away. What's so wrong about it? What's the harm in dancing? It says she lies in wait as for a prey and increases the transgressors among men. I don't know what you mean. I've never heard such nonsense. Nonsense? You call a scripture nonsense? Daisy! Daisy, go into the front room. It's all right, Mrs. Bunting. It's all right. Uh, I'm used to that kind of talk. Good day. Daisy. Yes. Daisy, listen to me. What, Mother? I've, I've got to tell you about... About, about what? Oh, nothing. Nothing. I, I've got to go out for a while now. I'll be back. For a moment, I was about to tell her my awful suspicions, but I stopped. They were only suspicions. At the same time, I had a thought. I'd go to the coroner's inquest they were having for the Avengers' latest victim. I was hoping to hear something said that would clear my suspicions of the larger. At least I'd give him this last chance. A lady was testifying as I took my seat. She'd seen the Avenger from her window, she said. And her description of him didn't tally with Mr. Sleuth at all. Oh, I can't tell you how relieved I was. Till it was pointed out she couldn't possibly have seen anyone that night from her window because of the fog. <laughs> then the next witness was a Mr. Cannot. I leaned forward anxiously as they swore him in and began asking questions. You say, Mr. Kennedy, you're positive that you saw this man? Positive, sir. It was only a few moments before the murder that I saw the Avenger. Uh, uh, describe him. Well, he wore a black cape, I believe, and was very gaunt-looking. And was carrying a small handbag. A handbag? Yes, a small, narrow handbag. Such a one as might contain a knife. <gasps> a knife! <laughs> 
Silence in the court. Uh, proceed, Mr. Carroll. Well, he had a low, hesitating voice. I'd say with something of a covenantal accent. An educated man, I'd judge, but quite mad. And what do you mean by that? Well, as he emerged from the fog, he was talking aloud to himself. Oh, believe me, sir, he was reciting scriptures from the Bible. Oh, no, no, it can't be. It can't be. Could there be any doubt about it now? Mr. Sleuth, our lodger, he was the murderer. I got out of the courtroom as quickly as I could. I didn't even notice it had started to rain. I hardly remember going home, running and walking somehow, while the nightmare of fear and terror grew bigger and bigger inside me. It was three streets from our cottage that I saw my husband, Robert. One thought hit me clearly. I realized Daisy must be home alone with the Avenger. Bunting! Bunting! Why, Ellen? Ellen, what is it? Bunting, where's Daisy? Where is she? Where's Daisy? Why, she's at home. Oh, listen, listen, Bunting, listen. Sleuth! Sleuth is the Avenger. What? What are you saying? Oh, larger. He's the Avenger. Daisy's alone with him right now. Hurry! Hurry! Now listen to me carefully, my child, and and rejoice with me in your heart, for for the moment is at hand, and you're not afraid, Daisy, are you? No, I'm not afraid. You're very beautiful, and and you should live in the ways of righteousness. You hear me, Daisy? You want to live in the ways of righteousness, don't you? Yes. Yes, I do. I know you do. I, I know. And, and that is why I've been sent to purge your soul so that you will be elevated beyond all sin and evil. You like to dance, Daisy, don't you? Already six have gone on before you and they are beyond all sin and evil. You are the seventh to be elevated, my child, and... My work is almost done for the seventh, I've promised, at this appointed hour. <gasps> Be still, Daisy. <laughs> and, and don't listen to the temptations of the crowd when they call out your name, because I am here to save you from all evil and wickedness that consumes you like a wildfire of scarlet and crimson. You like to dance, don't you? Yes, I do. Look at me, my child. Look at me and don't fear me. And do not tremble. Woe to them that call evil good and good evil and put darkness for light and light for darkness. And therefore, I must bring you down like the lamb to slaughter. And now... I lift my hand with a flaming sword, for now comes the vengeance and the time to rejoice. Daddy, you kill a daisy, come here. Drop that knife, you fiend. Drop that knife. You're safe. You're safe. Drop that knife, you. Take away your hand. Let go of me. Get away. Don't you know that such that are for death to death, and such that are for a sword to the sword, and no one, no one dare to have pity on them? 
Camel cigarettes and free camels to servicemen's hospitals from coast to coast. This week, the camels go to Veterans Hospital, Jefferson Barracks, Missouri, U.S. Army Letterman General Hospital, San Francisco, California, U.S. Naval Hospital, Charleston, South Carolina, U.S. Marine Hospital, Ellis Island, New York, Veterans Hospital, Fort Meade, South Dakota. Yes, everywhere, more folks are smoking camels. Many of those camel smokers are doctors. You know, three leading independent research organizations asked 113,597 doctors. What cigarette do you smoke, Doctor? The brand named most was Camel. According to a nationwide survey, more doctors smoke Camels than any other cigarette. Next week, Mystery in the Air, starring Mr. Peter Lorre, brings you one of the world's great stories of the strange and unusual... The Horla by de Maupassant, with a special musical score composed and conducted by Paul Barron. Hey there, Mr. Pipe Smoker. Do you know that more pipes smoke Prince Albert than any other tobacco? Well, it's true. So why don't you give PA a try? Prince Albert is specially made for smoking pleasure. It's choice tobacco, specially treated to ensure against tongue bite. Crimp cut to burn slow, smoke cool. See if the extra-rich, full flavor of Prince Albert doesn't give you added interest in your pipe. Be sure to listen to Prince Albert's Grand Ole Opry Saturday night for a half hour of folk music and laughter with Red Foley, Minnie Pearl, Rod Brassfield, and the rest of the Opry gang. And as Red's special guest this week, you'll hear Salty Holmes. Remember, Prince Albert's Grand Ole Opry, Saturday night, over NBC. Listen again next week at this same time when the makers of Camel Cigarettes present Mr. Peter Lorre in Mystery in the Air. Next week's play will be The Horla by de Maupassant. 
The artists supporting Mr. Laurie tonight were Agnes Moorhead as Ellen, Henry Morgan as the voice of mystery, Barbara Eiler as Daisy, Eric Snowden as Bunting, Raymond Lawrence as the inspector, Rolf Sedan as the witness, and Conrad Binion as the newsboy. And on behalf of Mr. Laurie and the entire cast, our sincere thanks to Agnes Moorhead for her great portrayal of Ellen Bunting. This is Michael Roy in Hollywood wishing you all a pleasant good night for Camel. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. That was The Lodger from Mystery in the Air here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. And that was my choice this week uh, for our podcast. And there's a couple of things we want to hit on before we launch into our opinions and discussion. Uh, First and foremost, I'd like to point out that it has been a very, very, very long time since I chose an episode for this podcast. We're either having special episodes where Josh was lined up like, hey, it's episode number 175. You know what that means? We're going to (laughs) do... We're going to do this. So then we've had a lot of listener requests. I don't remember the last time I had to pick one. Second thing is, because it's been so long, it was really important to me that I brought something special to the table for one reason or the other. And uh, I must have listened to 20, and I had them all lined up. and like, I don't know which one. When I came across this, it checked off every box. Like, this is perfect. After not picking an episode for about six years, I I think I've come out of the gate swinging, no matter if you guys liked it or not, because here's why. First and foremost, this is perfect because Mr. Scrimshaw, Joshua, has COVID, and I wanted to do something really, really nice for him. And I decided (laughs) that since he's at home, that he would really love to sit and listen to some Peter Laurie. And so I was like, oh, I bet you that would make him happy. Uh, The second reason that I picked it was because when we did The Lodger, the pilot of Suspense, back when we did a special back-to-backs of the first and last episode ever of Suspense on the podcast, um, we discovered a lot of things that we'll talk about. But uh, some people had mentioned in comments, uh, some of our podcast listeners and Patreons, about this episode of Mystery in the Air's The Lodger. Now, this was not a listener request. No one requested it, but people said, you should listen to that at some point. So I was like, great, that'll cover that then, too, because it's a nice follow-up to that. And three, the third and final reason I chose this is because uh, the sponsor at the end is Prince Albert Pipe Tobacco, which is the same brand of pipe tobacco I smoke. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) So I can't wait to find out uh, what you guys thought. I know how I felt. Oh, and then... After I checked off all that list, then, of course, I was like, well, it doesn't matter if I like it or not. I'm bringing this because it it fits all of these bills, so it's perfect to bring. Before I tell you what I thought of it, let me find out what you guys thought of it. 
Joshua, did you like your Peter Laurie gift? <laughs> I did. I really liked Peter Laurie. Anything with Peter Laurie is great. And Mystery in the Air holds a special spot in my heart. It was one of those cassette tape sets that I had um, when I was in uh, high school, and I listened to it a lot through college. I think there are only eight of the 13 episodes that still exist, so it was that perfect four-cassette tape set. Yeah. <laughs> and I listened to it again and again, um, so I can pretty much recite the opening announcement along with Mr. Morgan and uh, the Camel Cigarette ads, you know, fits your T-zone to a T. <laughs> I know them almost <laughs> by heart. So that was great, uh, a nostalgic experience for me to re-listen to it. So thank you, and I appreciate that. When's the last time you listened to this one, then? So you've heard this many times, this logic. Many times, yeah. Well, here's the point where we get into this area where, as a friend... I feel like I should always be honest with you. <laughs> I should say the lodger is like my least favorite of the mystery in the air, hands down. <laughs> I really don't like it at all. But I love oh, Peter Laurie no. and I love mystery in the air. I got that email from Eric and I went, oh, he did this for me. <laughs> Time for some tempered enthusiasm. <laughs> but oh, Eric no. and I have had a private conversation about this before, and so listeners should know this, and Tim should know it, that like my number one thing about friendship is I would hate the feeling that someone ever tempered their actual yeah. feelings and pretended to feel a different way because we were friends. To me, that's the opposite right. of friendship. So I feel I will feel free to say thank you, Eric, but also criticize the episode a bit. Oh, man, I got to redo like 200 some episodes of this podcast now. <laughs> I completely agree with what you're saying, Josh. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> yeah, I'm shocked. I'm shocked. I can't wait to find out why. Tim, your Let turn. me tell you, uh, my primary reaction to this was, I'm assuming this was a radio show that was recorded with a live audience. It really has that feel. Um, when you mean when you hear the live audience? Yes. <laughs> I've been fooled by things before. Right. And it feels like a live, energetic show. Yeah. It's got that energy to it. And I really, really enjoyed that. I, I can talk more in depth of like, that is not always my favorite type of show. But it's rarely what I actually listen to. And so I really, it was a treat for me to have that experience. The show itself was also part of that. I, this is a sort of sweet old chestnut of a show performed by some very amazing, talented actors. This is like a night out, the fancy theater wearing a suit. I wasn't wearing a suit, but I felt like I should be. Um, yeah. So the whole experience was, was very enjoyable. Uh, to be honest, it's really hard for it to fail when you're only exposure to the lodger is that pilot from suspense with Alfred Hitchcock directing. And it could have been a half an hour of a toilet flushing. And I would have said, wow, that's so much better than that lodger from suspense. <laughs> um, it doesn't have a lot of competition as far as the storyline goes for me, nor have I read the original novel, nor have I heard any other adaptation of this short story uh, that was originally written by what's her name that I said in the beginning that Marie Bellic Lounds yes so I don't know anything about it other than that episode of suspense then when you add oh gosh it's got Peter Laurie and Agnes Moorhead in it I, I, how can it fail so I'll tell you right now I didn't listen to it when I picked it 
Boy, that checks off the list. <laughs> Mystery in the Air, nice. Peter Laurie, Agnes Moorhead. You you have listened to it, right? We yeah, we have now. <laughs> Did I just say we? Oh my! There's more people in my head than I thought. But they checked off that list, and then it also checked off the list of oh, it'd be great discussion comparing it against that other lodger. And so I said, great, and I sent it out, and then I listened to it, and I thought, well, I'm either going to hate it or love it. Either way, it'll be great discussion. When it was done. I went, oh, man, I will be shocked if they don't like it because I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. It was so, so riveting and so well done. And again, I wonder if I'm being swayed by that terrible suspense version, (laughs) that pilot. So I don't know. I don't know. But Laurie's performance that pacing of it the, the gruesomeness of it that silence of the lambs feel like please rescue 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 hurry and rescue hurry and rescue it's so close you're knocking on the door you're not gonna get her get her helper you know it has that tension it's just a straightforward go get the bad guy kind of thing and i really enjoyed that and uh the banging on the door at the end was really really intense anyway that's where I'm at. Joshua, why do you hate it so much? Oh. <laughs> well, let me start with let me start with a compliment and agree with you, Eric, on that final scene um, from a directorial point of view. There's a lot going on. You have angry voices on both sides of a door in audio, and the way it's put together, you are able to sort of move to both sides of the door, back and forth, until they manage to break it open and get into the room, and it's very cinematic and visual in that way. And so I give it a a lot of credit from a directorial point of view. I think the script is really bad, but I am very story biased and script biased. There can be a lot of great positive things about a show. And if I get tripped up by the script, that can really sink it for me. And I think you're very different in that you kind of look at the whole a lot more than I sometimes do. It's all about how fast they got to the castle. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, I think the script is really obvious and dull by itself. And then if you are familiar with the original, the adapter passed up so many great elements of the story and replaced them with things that were very obvious to my taste. I feel like there is very little suspense for me in the story because it is just so obvious who it is from the get-go. Which is fine. I do like those stories that are more of a sense of dread as we move toward the inevitable conclusion. But the script itself seems to want to convince us that there is more suspense involved in is he the killer or not than it really is. So in that way, maybe it's just not a great vehicle for Peter Lorre and that he's not coming in and tackling this from a subtle point of view. It does make her look more irresponsible and not recognizing immediately, yes, this is the killer and I should say something or do something about this as opposed to reasonable doubt about him. Yeah. I, I don't know what your reaction was, but this seemed a very non-Agnes Moorhead, Agnes Moorhead. Do you know what it is, Tim? It's the beginning of uh, the mother and bewitched voice. Proto Endora. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like a couple more hours, you're going to be Endora. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but yeah, it does not sound like her. I was also impressed with her accent. I thought it was pretty spot yeah. on. And then I thought Lori's performance throughout the whole thing was 
gruesomely terrifying and horrible in a good way. Oh, like oh yeah, I love his performance. Yeah, I mean, okay, it's good. fantastic, and it, that makes this highly entertaining to listen to. But I guess in the story, we have so many different clues that Mrs. Bunting slowly is given, and so is Mr. Bunting. And the story runs in these two parallels where uh, Mrs. Bunting's suspicions are growing and Mr. Bunting's, and then they converge, just like they do in the story, and then they realize that they've left Daisy alone in the house, and they rush back, and Daisy's just fine, and everything's okay. Um, (laughs) And there's a whole nother ending that I think is really strong from the story that is set in Madame Tussaud's Waxworks, uh, which I would have much preferred they use. However, if you're familiar with Mystery in the Air, there's a whole nother evil Waxworks story right. <laughs> as part of this season, uh, The Mask of Medusa, which might have been why they decided to cut that. But there's just so much back and forth in the story that makes you go, maybe she is wrong, but she's probably right. Yeah. But if she is wrong, there could be real consequences to it. And Mr. Sleuth is suspicious, but he's not just as dripping with evil and crazy as Peter Laurie is. Um, And so I had already read the story, and I really like it, so it's hard for me to separate those two. Also, the story is really phenomenal for its time period in that it's not just that it's the first fictionalized account of Jack the Ripper, but it also is this very early, unofficial female detective in the form of Mrs. Bunting, who is actually involving herself in this crime that was committed solely against women. And we have this whole story about a a woman who gets to be the person who figures out who is doing these killing while the male dominated police cannot figure it out at all. In fact, in the original story, the police are at Madame Tussauds and they are bragging about how they know who the killer is as they walk right past uh, Mr. Sleuth and don't catch on. And so it's a interesting story, and I think it's an interesting cautionary tale and adaptation that at some point, if you simplify things to such a degree, you can lose what initially drew you to <laughs> adapting it in the first place. Yeah, yeah. But they clearly wanted it to be the story that you are describing, Eric, this very straightforward story, because his only suspiciousness in this story is his uh, religious fervor. That's there in the story, but it's one tiny component among a lot of other clues. And there's nothing about dancing, <laughs> which is a total... I mean, not that there is, hasn't been a lot of uh, uh, anti-dancing sentiment in the church, but um, it's a just strange simplification. I, as, a, as a small contrary to that, if I went into anybody's room and they had a lot of pictures of beautiful young women and then turned all those pictures to the wall, that's a complex problem that I think is a red flag. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so too. I think so too. But again, that goes back to my point where it, where it's like it doesn't give you any uh, room to not suspect him at that point. And he's very over the top in that moment. In the story, I think they have the same moment. And all he says to her in that moment is, I didn't like the way those women's eyes followed me. That's the only thing he says, which is super creepy. <laughs> Let me see if I got this right, though. The problem with it being so specifically like, there's no doubt Peter Laurie's the guy, right? It's so spoon-fed to you. It's so obvious, right? That you start as a listener going, well, then it obviously isn't him. Exactly. When it is him, you go, oh, well, <laughs> that's stupid. You told me that at the beginning. 
All right, I get it. I went along for the ride of, oh, it's him. How you gonna get him? <laughs> right? And his death <laughs> at the then, end was cool. Yeah. I mean, it was well-directed. I think from a yeah. writer point of view, it was a little lazy. He just, he fell on his knife. Or maybe that was something <laughs> symbolic that the writer he falling on his on pen his at the moment. <laughs> well, I mean, Jack the Ripper was super clumsy. And people <laughs> forget that part about the clumsy ripper. Wasn't that the old SNL sketch where Jack the Ripper put the uh, star on the top of the Christmas tree and <laughs> fell down? No, that was a different character. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, let's rewrite it then. So if we're spoon-fed that, at the very end, what's the twist? She's the murderer. <laughs> That'd be a twist. Mrs. Mrs. Bunning. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to go in that search of a twist. I, and, and a twist doesn't mean who even who the killer is. I just thought there might be something uh, of a more interesting showdown. And in the story, and it's mentioned in the script, that she has a level of sympathy for Mr. Sleuth. Yeah. And it's mentioned at one point very briefly in the script and then just dropped immediately. She goes, oh, and I felt a little bad for him. But since he's not here, I'm going to search his room for a knife. And it, <laughs> right. it didn't make a lot of sense. And and. Um, in the story, the twist is, obviously, it is Mr. Sleuth in the original story, but he has this great respect for Mrs. Bunting, that she is a good and just woman. And at no point was Mrs. Bunting in any danger from him or Daisy. Uh, and that was sort of the ironic twist in the end of the original story. He believes then that he is framed by her when he sees the police in Madame Tussauds. And so anyway, I think it's a very complex piece of writing uh, for its time period, and I was biased because of my familiarity with the original. So I was listening to this just clearly in mind, constantly comparing it to the other version we listened right. to. And as I was saying, my, my biggest impression was this seemed like the very formal, well-produced, this is the nice theater version where you go and there's expensive wine. Um <laughs> <laughs> and Pierre Laurie spills it on you, <laughs> screaming yes. in your face. <laughs> and you go and you clap politely at the end and you had a really very nice time. And then like the, the other version, the suspense version, was the sweaty, un-air-conditioned un theater where people are standing <laughs> on your table. And like it's that's in interactive theater. <laughs> yes, exactly, yes. And that's normally the theater I like, the theater I prefer, except for that version of interactive small little theater was not well done and this version of big nice theater is like excellently done well done so it is the better version of the style of performance that i prefer less yeah <laughs> i followed all of that well, oh no i i'll figure out what you said in the editing process um, but i'll just agree with you for now if you could fix what i said i'd be appreciative <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually follow what you're saying. <laughs> totally. It is a much crisper, polished uh, performance. Uh, it has no fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants uh, feel to it, especially like that suspense version, which had such a fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants version that they didn't write an ending. They just <laughs> decided to... Uh, what happened? I don't know. What do you want to happen? <laughs> if you haven't heard episode 166 of this podcast, you should probably go back and listen to that. And then you'll come back to this and say, God, Eric's right. This is brilliant. <laughs> now, let me ask you this, Joshua. Out of the eight mystery in the airs that still exist, what's the best one then? Oh, we've already listened to it. <laughs> I said that because I know you will not remember what's I, I know we listened to one mystery in the air. I we can't remember which to one. We listened to Telltale Heart, if I remember right. 
No, that was from Inner Sanctum. Uh, that one's Dang lost it. from Mystery in the Air. We listened to the Horla. That's we, right. That's right. Yeah, I remember, remember the Horla. Yep. We, it has the uh, fourth yeah. wall breaking yep. moment yep. at the end where yep. he, he just turns into Peter Laurie ranting about the Horla, which I think is <laughs> brilliant. It's a nice marriage between this Mystery in the Air and the uh, suspense version of the Lodger. Of, uh, <laughs> What other ones would you recommend of Mystery in the Air? I really like them all. I think Horla's the best. The Marvelous Barastro is fantastic. If you want a slightly more redemptive story of faith than this one, uh, Beyond Good and Evil is uh, very good. If you want just a classic like horror story, it would do like Mask of Medusa or The Black Cat, Edgar Allan Poe. Beyond, is he just like reading Nietzsche? Is that... <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I wish. It would be so cool. Um, Just screaming. Even though it's not, <laughs> it's not your favorite of the mystery in the air, is you still like it? Yes, Eric. I am so sorry. This is a podcast where we have to express our opinions. <laughs> if you'd never heard a mystery in the air, would you have liked it better? Probably, yes. Yeah. Okay. The irony being that I discovered the original short story. I haven't right. read the novel version of The Lodger when we listened to the terrible suspense version. So we can still blame the terrible suspense version for my negative reaction to this one. <laughs> perhaps had I not been so enamored of the original uh, Lounge story, I would have uh, been more forgiving. But there's so many great scenes from that. There's a scene where that would be great for audio where Mr. Bunting sees Mr. Sleuth walking down the street and wants to catch up with him. And Mr. Sleuth is walking so fast. Mr. Bunting has a hard time. He's trying to catch up. And then he slowly realizes that Mr. Sleuth's feet are making no noise whatsoever. And he suddenly realizes he's wearing rubber-soled shoes. And so, like, all the clues are delivered in these great little scenes that I thought, oh, this is so perfect for audio. Yeah, the foley on rubber-soled shoes that make no sound would be brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) No, I know exactly what you're saying. Uh, Yeah, I think there's also that curse of adaptation, right, Joshua? 30 minutes. How do you do it? What do you pick? I love the angle, by the way, a lot of the religious zealousness of uh, Laurie's character in this, even though you're telling me that in the original, you know, was it was a small part. But I love that they picked up on that and said, let's run with that. Let's just make it about I hate dancing. <laughs> I, I think that's <laughs> so exactly it. it. Uh, the point of this adaptation was to showcase Laurie. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And just so you guys know, I'm pretty sure that Footloose was... Loosely based on this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, kind of cut loose. Foot loose. <laughs> Why is everybody just standing there? Let's have a party. Jack, get back. <laughs> <laughs> we'll send it to the vote unless anybody has anything else to say. And I'll just start it with this. I was just riveted by Laurie's performance in this. It made me uncomfortable, and I'm going to tell you, and again, I didn't listen to it, sent it out, said this will be great, let's find out what happens. When it was done, I wrote this down, and I'm standing by it. That was a classic. I'm giving it classic. That was one of the better pieces of radio drama I've heard in a long time. I'll be with you, Joshua. I, I didn't really pay attention to the script. It was all about performance. That's where I stand. This is weirdly a episode where I might say it's a classic, but doesn't necessarily stand the test of time. It is so iconically this sort of old-fashioned radio show. You're full of the enigmatic <laughs> declarations. <laughs> I love it. Just sitting up here on my mountaintops, spouting uh, weird aphorisms. 
but yeah, it's it is I think by design of its time and sort of old fashioned to my ears, but it's so enjoyable nonetheless, which is both doesn't stand the test of time and does stand the test of time. So that's my vote. <laughs> you didn't actually vote, sir. I caught you. That that was some wicked good politician oh. speak you just did. I both voted and not voted. <laughs> so s- I'm voting. It is not of historical interest. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> is it a classic? I can't call it a classic. Great. Is it stand the test of time? Yes. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to pin me down and make me actually vote, <laughs> yes, that. <laughs> Find that little nuance. <laughs> yes, I'm going to actually make you vote. Uh, you, present, present. All right. What really matters, though, is what Joshua thinks because he has COVID. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I needed after two weeks of COVID? A bunch of pressure. <laughs> <laughs> Emotional pressure. Oh. Now, and we have Peter Lorre right here. Who's anxiously waiting? <laughs> He's a classic. <laughs> Don't break his heart. Uh, no, I mean I have my biases, which I already mentioned. I do not want to uh, beat a dead horse uh, because there's a whole mystery in the air episode about Peter Lorre beating a dead horse. Okay, I don't <laughs> want to spoil it. <laughs> um, I think, like Eric said, the production and the performances totally stand the test of time. I think this stands the test of time. I think my issues with it would have been the same issues someone randomly tuning in in 1947 uh, would have had with it. When I, I think when you say stands the test of time, is there something just inherently about it that is so of its time uh, people would just go Psh, and not give it a listen? I mean, the closest thing to something that I think a modern listener would have a hard time with is some of the music is so overwhelming. Um, it's the type of overbearing right. orchestral music in an old-time radio show that I love. Uh, other than that, I definitely think it stands test time. I think you are just as likely to find it thrilling or predictable uh, in 1947 as you are today. Uh, we are a example of that. Um, I think the story is much, much better and would encourage people to read the story. I've not read the novel. She originally wrote it as a short story and expanded it. But I think the story's good enough that I don't know why you would need hundreds more pages of it. Because uh, advertising. Gotta pay the bills. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, there you have it. Tim, tell them stuff. Please go visit ghoulishdelights.com, home of this podcast. You'll find other episodes there. You'll find links to our social media pages. You'll find links to our threadless page. You can get swag, Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society swag. Uh, you can also find a link to our Patreon page to become a supporter. Yes, please go to patreon.com slash the morals and support this podcast. We really appreciate it. We've got lots of great stuff. We do Zoom happy hours. We have extra bonus podcasts for our Patreon supporters. And uh, you can also go to iTunes and write a review. We have lots of reviews and we would greedily take more. So please do that as well. <laughs> And the division of the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society that does live theater and recreations and adaptations of original broadcasts of radio drama, plus a lot of our own original work, mostly that actually. We are at Park Square Theater in St. Paul, which you can see our shows monthly online. And we eventually will be back on stage here in 2021. Uh, right now, we're still online, but go to parksquaretheater.org to uh, get a ticket and see us perform them virtually. I will tell you, though, I'm pretty sure that once we get 
back to being on stage, there'll probably still be an online version available for those of you who have been not in the St. Paul area and have gotten used to watching these. Uh, and thank you. So, again, go to parksquaretheater.org or go to mysteriousoldradiolisteningsociety.com for all of this information. There's links to everything there. Our shows, our ghoulishdelights.com, our podcast, all of it. Hey, what are we doing next? Well, before we get into what's next, I do want to take one moment to thank some people. I want to thank my hosts for being so kind and understanding as I've been recovering from COVID. I've feeling a lot better. And I also want to thank all the people on social media, on our Patreon page, who wrote me nice things and well wishes. And I really appreciate it as I was recovering. It was really nice. And thank you so much, Eric, in all sincerity for thinking of me with uh, Mr. (laughs) Peter Laurie, because it always puts a smile on my face. So uh, thank you, everybody. I have great co-hosts and we have great listeners. So thank you. Who do you like better? (laughs) (laughs) You really know how to push it, Eric. (laughs) Peter Laurie is my favorite. Now, (laughs) let's move on. Uh, Next, we will be returning to the listener library for an early episode of suspense entitled 100 in the Dark. Until then... Beyond Good and Evil by Friedrich Nietzsche. Read to you by Peter Laurie. Preface. Supposing that truth is a woman, what then? Is there not ground for suspecting that all philosophers, insofar as they have been dogmatists, have failed to understand women? That the terrible seriousness and clumsy importunity with which they have usually paid their addresses to truth, they have been unskilled and unseemly methods for winning a woman. Certainly she has never allowed herself to be won, and at present every kind of dogma stands with sad and discouraged men, if indeed it stands at all. For there are scoffers who maintain that it is fallen, and that all dogma lies on the ground, nay more, that it is at its last gasp. 